Welcome to Amplify Awesome, a podcast where we amplify ordinary people, businesses, and organizations doing extraordinarily awesome things in the community. My name is Josh Bach, co-founder of Amplify Podcast Network. Before you get started with this podcast today, we want to ask the question, if you know of anyone, whether they're a for-profit or a non-profit business that's looking for podcasts, we have packages available. And for non-profits, we offer a 25% discount. Go to Amplify Podcast Network. Com, or for email, email josh, J-O-S-H, at amplifyindy.com. Spread the word. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Hi, I'm Jay Brubaker. I'm the director here at Circle City Clubhouse, and I'm here today with my friend, Savella. Talk a little Hi. bit about her life. Hey, Savella. Her experiences with mental illness, her experiences here at Circle City Clubhouse. And so, Savella, why don't you kind of introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, like Jay said, my name is Savella, and uh, I'm 61 years old. Uh, I have worked on and off for maybe 20 years, but I've been on disability for the last 10 years or so. Um, I do have experience with mental illness since I was 10 years old. Excuse me. And I'm now 61, so most of my life, it's been a part of my life for forever, it seems like. But I first realized I had a mental illness when I was, I say 21, when I realized what it was, rather. But as I got older, it became more profound and more detailed. But in the beginning, when I was 10 years old, I thought everyone heard the same thing I heard, my own thoughts, and I didn't think much about it. I thought it was perfectly normal. Heard things like Michael, I'm telling my age, like Michael Jackson's loves That's you. Right. Michael Jackson's loves you and just verbatim thoughts in my mind. So um, I didn't think much about it, but as I got older, I would like to think that they were what you call more mature thoughts as I got older and more, more profound to the point that it came when I turned about 20, 21. I heard my thoughts quite literally. I had a what you call it, what they call now, psychotic break, where I thought I was going to die quite literally at five o'clock in the afternoon, and it was so real to me. It's like closing in on me, and I couldn't control the thought, and it was scary. It was like having a nightmare, being awake, and believing the nightmare. So they put me at St. Vincent Stress Center here in Indianapolis, and I paced for about two hours in a room. They put me in a room for two hours. Someone stuck their head in the door after five o'clock and it said and they said it's after five and you're not dead. Then I realized, hey, there's something wrong with me and I need some help. Can you tell me a little more about that experience? How did you get to St. Vincent's? You know, I really don't remember. I think my mother took me. Um, she was a big advocate for me. She's big strength. She passed two years ago. But uh she took me and uh, along with my aunt. And when I got there, I was just totally paranoid. I thought it was reality to me, to me. It wasn't anything fake. It wasn't anything that wasn't real to me because, like I said, I've been hearing voices all my life since I was 10 up to that point. So it was like being closed in and couldn't get out. And the nightmare was real to me. And if anybody's ever had a nightmare, when you wake up, you say, oh, I'm glad I woke up. But with this, I didn't wake up. It was a reality. So... Uh, I was scared. I was afraid I'd pace. I was in turmoil in my mind. 
Uh, I heard me say, no, it's not real. And then I heard myself say, yes, it is. You're going to die at five o'clock. It was like me hearing my own thoughts in my own head. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think that they were thoughts that people have in their own minds. They just don't hear them like different reactions to different things. But I heard mine and um, it was real to me. So I was I was really scared. Has that continued since then throughout your life? It's continued all my life up to this point. Um, like I said, I'm 61 years old, but I do take medication, which makes them seem far away where to the point that I can almost, I can't hardly hear them and I can, you know, live my life. But uh, when I initially started working, when I turned after my psychotic break, when I started working at Blue Cross and Blue Shield, the voices came back and they had to work on medication. But up to that point, they hadn't found the right medication for me. So uh, I worked at Blue Cross and Blue Shield for three years and I faked it. You know, I heard the voices. It's like somebody whispering in your ear and you can hear them. But at the same time, somebody else talking, you can hear them. So I said, well... I can manage this. So what they basically, they put me as a data entry clerk, and I just entered numbers. I didn't hear anybody talking, so I could deal with that. And I did that for like a year and a half. Mm -hmm. They put me in the claims department. I'm telling, like I said, I'm telling my age. But they put me in the claims department at Medicaid, and all I did was do filing of different codes for different Medicaid processes. Then they put me in filing, and I didn't talk to anybody then, so I could handle that. But then my last position, they put me uh, uh, where you uh, send copies to the whole job. People mm-hmm. requested copies of different claims and everything. And somebody else was there with me and they were talking to me. And the voices got so profound that I couldn't deal with it. The person talking to me, the voices. And so my supervisor who was there, he recognized that, hey, there's something wrong with her. She has issues. And so uh, three people underneath him were, who were my supervisors before him said she never, she's never taken a day off. She's on time. She's, she leaves right when it's time to leave. She hardly takes lunch because I was scared. I didn't know what to do anyway. I didn't know what a vacation where I would go. So work was like a, a getaway for me and a hideaway. So I pace and I start talking to myself on this particular job. And he said, we're going to fire. And my supervisors before her, before him said, no, don't fire. Uh, she's a good worker. She's a hard worker. But he said, no, she can't deal with the position. So I remember very well. It was a Friday. I don't remember the day, but it was a Friday evening. He, wa- he brought me to his office. He said, Ms. Perry, I'm sorry, but you're no longer working at Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And I was in shock. I didn't know what I was going to do because up to that point, it was going to be my career. So I walked out the door crying, not knowing what I was going to do because I was dependent on my dad. I lived with him, and he, for a year, uh, took me, and I paid him $200 a month to live there with him, and I was saving money in my checking account to save for furniture and stuff like that to move into my own place. So when he found out I didn't have my job, he said, well, you got to go. I got bills. I need money, and you're not there to support me, so... And he had a girlfriend who didn't like me anyway. He was wondering, she was wondering why I was there. So um, I, he put me out. So I walked down to, something told me to walk down to a neighbor's house that I knew, and she let me stay for a couple of days. 
Then I went back to my dad's house, said, please let me stay. I don't have anywhere to go. So he said, okay. Uh, but the thoughts were so overwhelming up to that point that I was didn't know what I was doing, really. So my mother, who was in California at the time, said uh, something is wrong with one of her babies. She, I guess, is intuition, a woman's in, uh, intuition when you're uh, a mother. So she said, something's wrong with my babies. I got to go home. So when she came home, she said she found me in my uh, bedroom over my dad's house, sitting on the bed, spaced out. I don't remember that. Uh, my dad didn't care, so he just let me be whatever I was. So she said, I got to get you help. And that's when I got the went to the St. Vincent Stress Center and got the help, started getting the help that I needed. It sounds like your your mother's been a really big support for you. How did the rest of your family react when they found out that you had a mental illness? They weren't very supportive at all. They were all living their lives. Two of them were married, and the other one, I think he really needs help too. <laughs> but uh, I was really on my own because up to that point, only support I had was myself. And my dad, like I said, I lived with him. My sister was married. She had two kids, and she had her own issues, so she couldn't help me. My other brother, he was married, and he had issues, so he couldn't help me. So basically, I was on my own. I was with my dad, living on my own, and uh, my mother, when she came back, was my only support. How do you feel like your mental illness has uh, affected relationships with people outside of your family? Um, I've always been a person to myself, for the most part. I've had friends. Even when I was in high school, I never participated in sports, went to football games. Bas- I was basically always to myself. The only solace I had was going in the art department and drawing. And that's what I love to do. I like drawing. And I basically majored in art in high school. I took uh, uh, basic art, commercial art, advanced art. And I did really well. I got A's in those classes because I loved it. It was something that I could concentrate on uh, personally and really put myself into it without talking to people or socializing or anything like that. How did that make you feel when you were kind of by yourself, for lack of a better way to put it? I didn't think much about it. I just thought it was just who I was. Um, I didn't know why I didn't participate in sports. I didn't know why I didn't have a lot of friends. I just, I just made that decision not to do that. Uh, my relationships have been maybe two or three people mm-hmm. at a time. Uh, I went to college a year, and I had a couple of friends there who I went to college with, uh, but I didn't tell them about my mental illness. I kept it to myself. Um, this is before 21. I was like 19, and I kept it to myself, so they didn't know what was going on with me. Uh, but my relationships have been very vague. I haven't had very many relationships. As far as men, I could count on one hand how many relationships I had. I remember liking one man in particular, and I basically confided in him and said, I have a mental illness. This was after I got my medication. And he said, you're crazy. I don't want anything to do with you. So he walked out, and that was the end of that. So I've had really bad experiences with men, and um, really bad relationships all all the way around when it comes to men. So it sounds like your mental illness really kind of affected your work. It kind of affected, you know, the people you had relationships with. 
Um, are there any other things that you feel like you haven't done or haven't been able to do because of your illness? As I was taking my medication, they finally found one that worked for me. It was back in the 80s or 90s. I don't remember which. It worked pretty well for me. So I was able to focus a little bit to work. I worked as, like I said, at Blue Cross and Blue Shield, those jobs. But I also worked as a customer service rep at a place called CIC, which is someone's initials. And what we did, we gave tax breaks to businesses that specialize in helping people who are on AFDC and uh, things like that get a tax break for the business if they hired them. So I, what I did was encourage people to uh, go to uh, the employment office and tell them who they work for and, and ask for a tax break for that company. And that's what we encouraged them to do. I've also worked... As a janitor, I worked as a uh, I worked as a legal secretary in an office, but all these jobs were pretty isolated. I was sitting at a desk at Blue Cross and Blue Shield talking. I wasn't talking to anybody. I was just telling them what to do. I worked at uh, 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 as the as a legal secretary. I had my own desk to myself. And uh, I just did paperwork for the most part. I made sure they got the coffee in the morning. I went and got the legal forms over at the courthouse. And I just just did genuine stuff. And computers had just started, so I didn't know how to use a computer. So I ended up taking a class downtown when it was a, uh, a business, a school downtown in the 80s. And I took a couple of computer classes. But then I came Back one day and the whole school was gone. So <laughs> it wasn't accredited or anything. I it was just there for the money. So I ended up um basically um I hurt myself when I was working at CIC, I mean working at uh this uh legal office. I was alone one day and the thoughts were under control for the most part, but then everything went black in my in my face, I, I, everything went black. And I said, what is this? I was conscious and I was awake, but I think it was the medication I was taking. It affected my mind to the point that I just blacked out and it scared me. So then I said, I can't work here and, and have, you know, this darkness or whatever it is. So, uh, I quit. I worked there like two years and I quit. So, I went to the doctor, I went to a neurologist, and he said he doesn't know why that is, but he uh, did a CAT scan in my brain. He said there's an area in my brain to the left that there's a little bit something going on there. So I started seeing a neurologist uh, back in the 90s, and I've been seeing him ever since. He puts me on seizure medication because I also had a seizure back in the 80s, 80s, 90s. I was on my mother's house, and I was doing her hair. And the next minute, I knew I was um, in the on the way to the hospital. Um, that I was doing my mother's hair. The next thing I knew, I was in a, in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. So I said, well, "What is this?" And everything I think evolves behind my psychosis, my mental illness. Um, it culminated up to that point where I just black I had blackout spells and all that. So up to that point, um, yeah, I just lived with it. There's nothing else I could do. So, and I was in my 30s and 40s about then. When did you start coming to Circle City Clubhouse? 
I came to Circle City Clubhouse maybe around four or five years ago. A uh, gentleman who worked here suggested I come here, and I've been here ever since. She said, just try it. And I said, no, I don't think so. This is not for me. But then I tried it, and I said, hey, maybe I can help people who have mental illnesses. Like I I do find a place here where they're accepted, needed, and wanted, and feel important. What do you like to do when you're here at Clubhouse? I like working with people. I like um, doing orientation. I uh, like when they come in the door, I tell them basically, welcome home. There's no uh, stigmas here, no isolation, no rejection. There's total acceptance. Uh, we, I want them to feel like they're important and needed and wanted because they are. They have a mental illness. The mental illness does not have to control them. They can tr- can control it with the right medication and total acceptance. You have to accept that you have a mental illness before you can deal with it. If you don't accept it, you'll uh, be out in the street somewhere with, with no hope and living, sitting at home, uh, staring off into space. You have to accept you have a mental illness and you can get the medication you need. But once you accept that, then I think you can do just about anything. I wish Circle City Clubhouse had been here when I was 20, 21, as I went, I went to college, finished college. Uh, it just it might take a while to get the medication that you want, but I'm now on Prolixin, and it works really well for me, along with the seizure medication I take, and it works really well. So the, sometimes I don't hear the thoughts at all. It's just it's really great. So I feel comfortable about that, but I've never forgotten my roots where I came from and uh, my experience with mental mental illness. So uh, I like to encourage people to say, hey, you can do it too. You can you can achieve your goal despite your mental illness, and this is a stepping stone to doing that. If it's no more than coming here and mopping the floor, you achieved a goal. If you cook in the kitchen, you achieved a goal. If you uh, clean the toilets, you achieved a goal. If you go to school, you achieved a goal. Every goal is important because uh, the mental illness is different for everybody. So some people are able to work an eight-hour. Maybe you know somebody sitting next to you who might have a mental illness. Can work a 40-hour week with a mental illness. And some people, to get, get up and get to the clubhouse is an achievement within themselves. And here we applaud that. So there's no big eyes or little use here. Everybody's accepted. Everybody's welcome. We want everybody to reach their full potential. Do you feel like your life is different now that you're attending clubhouse than it was before? I think it is. I think I'm contributing. Not only have I worked here, I've done what we call Speakers Bureau, where I've been out into the community, community excuse me, and advocated for the clubhouse. I've even been on TV with UJ on Channel 8 News here in Indianapolis to talk about the clubhouse. So I'm a bit advocate for mental health since I have one. And I think, as particularly in the black community, there's such a stigma there. Uh, a lot of people think because you have a mental illness, you've done something wrong, particularly in some churches. So there's a lot of alienation going on. So I like I would like to reach uh, African Americans, in particular since I am one, and let them know it's a disease like anything else, just like cancer. It's not like cancer. Uh, you pass when you have cancer for the most part. But it's a disease, but it's something you can live with, and uh, you don't have to sit home isolated. You don't have to feel unimportant. You don't have to uh, live in a shell like you can't come out of that. Uh, uh, Here at the clubhouse, we turn on a switch that's been closed for a lot of people for years, decades, and uh, we open up a a, a possibility that wasn't there. What would you like like your uh, life to look like in the future? 
Well, I'm 61 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you still got some time. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty content with my life up to this point. If if I meet someone in a relationship that works for me, fine. If I don't, I've been single all my life. So, oh, well, if I don't, okay. But um, as far as my life goes, uh, I'm pretty content. Um, I think everybody wants to feel... Everybody wants to feel important, so I think the clubhouse does that for me. Uh, I like to draw. I make a little money on the on the side with that. Um, I really like encouraging other people who are younger th- than me to achieve their goals. Really, you talked about uh, making a little money with your drawing. You want to tell me a little bit more about what you're doing with that? Well, right now I'm working at a place called Cleo's, but they go in grocery store on Martin Luther King Jr. Street here in Indianapolis. And I sit at a table um, and I draw. I pay, I draw for $15. Anybody interested in doing portraits, I do those for $15. But uh, I make a little money uh, every now and then. I draw here at the clubhouse for people for like 3 to $5. Not, not a lot of money. I mean, I can't make a living off of it. But I do enjoy doing that. And I really like to see people when they see themselves walk away and say, hey, I look like that. I, I look pretty good. <laughs> so that makes me feel good. You talked a little bit about finding out that uh, about your mental illness when you were in your 20s. Do you mind sharing, folks, uh, what you're actually diagnosed with? I'm diagnosed with undifferentiated schizophrenia. They can't put me in a particular category. They don't know exactly where I belong. But they do know I have a mental illness. Uh, so... Uh, Maybe it's a combination of all of them. I don't know. They, I really don't. I've asked them about that. They said they don't know where I belong. Uh, I don't have paranoia to the point that I can't function. And I don't know the other types of schizophrenia. So uh, they just put me as undifferentiated. How do you feel like having that? Has that made your life different than someone that uh, doesn't have a mental illness? I know we've talked about a couple of the things that you've been through. I think it does make a little difference. I think everybody, to the most part, have mental uh, issues that, I mean, when someone dies, you have to deal with that. You have to have that kind of support, spiritual, or someone to be there for you, or you can get sick as well. So um, I don't really don't think I'm as different as uh, most people than a lot of people might think because I have a mental illness. Uh, I'm just different. I have a mental illness. Uh, people don't understand that, so they're afraid of that. And they kind of alienate us because we have a mental illness, which is really not fair. And if you don't feel comfortable talking about this, this is okay. But I know that you experienced a pretty big loss not too long ago when uh, your mother passed. Would yes. you be willing to talk a little bit about that? Oh, boy. I, um, yeah. Um, I went and lived with her um I think you asked me to do uh, something, go uh, out of town or something at that point. But I told you I couldn't go because my mother was sick. She had pancreatic cancer, and I went and stayed with her the last four months of her life, and I cooked and cleaned. She died right next to me, so that was really, uh, I wasn't, it wasn't like I wasn't expecting it because I know she had the disease, and they told me she only had so many months to live, but it was hard seeing her deteriorate and get so small that she could just hardly stand. Uh, but I'm I'm glad she didn't suffer as much as I thought she would. Uh, it was glad for her to leave. I was happy for her because I know the pain that she was going through 
was really severe. So uh, it gave me peace of mind. I had her for 58 years when she passed. So I was grateful to have her that long. A lot of people don't have their parents that long, and I was grateful to have her for that long. What did, what did it mean to you to have the clubhouse around you during that time? It was very important. Um, up to that point, like I said, um, I was pretty much on my own. Even on my mother to a point said, take your medication and go on about your business. I guess she got fed up with uh, dealing with the things I uh, had experienced, and she just kind of said, you're fine, you're just – you're, you're on your medication, you're doing well. So it's kind of difficult to to um, miss your parents. I think anybody who has a parent, they lose them. They'll, of course, naturally anybody would miss them. Is there anything you haven't told me about yourself that we should know or that you want folks listening to know? I don't know. Let's see. You done told me about the bad things you've done a little bit, Jay. <laughs> this isn't about me today. We'll save that uh, for another time. I think I'll leave myself squeaky clean about it. I'm not going to tell you about the bad things I've done. But I think everybody's done a little dirt. What would you say to um, somebody that wants to know about Clubhouse? What do you you think is the most important thing for them to know about what we're doing here? I wish there were Clubhouses across the country every in every state and every nook. I wish we had more here in Indianapolis. Uh, it's a place of hope that gives no hope to people who don't have it, who have mental illness. It's a place for acceptance and uh, feeling that you can achieve goals despite your mental illness. Um, it's a place where I feel like I'm contributing to society, giving people hope who had no hope. Uh, it's a place where I don't mind getting up coming here because I feel like I am contributing um, I like to see people, um, I'm a people person, uh, to the point when it comes to uh, here at the clubhouse, not outside of the clubhouse, but I feel like people um, are important, and uh, we as people with mental illness, we're equally as important as anybody else, and when I see somebody growing or achieving their goals, going to school or mopping or what have it makes me feel good. If you looking back at, at you when you were, you know, 23 finding all this stuff out about yourself what would you say to you back then looking back from 61 to now back then or somebody else that's just finding out for the first time that they have a mental illness what would you say to them except except that you have a mental illness that's the bottom line it's the first thing you have to do is accept it because up to that point I faked it up until I turned 21 I faked it I lived a life that uh was uh, not the best I could live. So I think you have to totally accept it because if you don't accept it, you'll be isolated. You'll be to yourself. You won't have a, uh, a place to go. You won't have a, a place where you can hope and, uh, and uh, achieve your goal after they find the medication that's right for you. Keep searching and keep looking. Take your medication. Uh, when they find something that works for you, go at it achieve your goal i think you can do that i really do thanks savella i really appreciate you talking with me today and it was great to hear your story you're welcome 